Ladies and gentlemen, sports fans alike, welcome to another edition of Bill Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. One of the couple, two, three best podcasts around. So sit back, grab yourself a cold one and a pole of sausage, park your keister in the front room, and listen to Bill Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. In Chicago, you know that all sports rock. The Bears, Hawks, Bulls, Cubs, and Sox. Pick your favorite, you can choose as long as the... Packers lose for everything you need to know. It's Bill Swarski Sports Talk Chicago. Bill Swarski Sports Talk Chicago. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Bill Swarski Sports Talk Chicago. This is your hosts, Alex and Sean. On this episode, we are going to be talking mad shit on the Chicago Bears. And we'll sprinkle a little baseball in there. But first, I'd like to thank our sponsor, the Rockford Ice Hogs. If you're not familiar with the Rockford Ice Hogs, they're the AHL minor league affiliate of the Chicago Blackhawks. What does that mean for you? You get to see the stars of tomorrow today at family-friendly, affordable prices. The season is just right around the corner, starting next month. So don't sleep on it. Go on to icehogs.com, get yourself a hat, shirt, jersey, sign up for season tickets and more. Tell them Swirsky Sports sent you. Alex, how have you been? Oh, I've been just fine. Looking forward to talking about that wonderful game last night. You know, it's funny. I knew the game was going to be dog turds. As did I. It was just a lot different of a dog turd than I was expecting. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that's exactly how I felt. I mean, you could look at both sides of the ball from, you know, both the bears and the Rams. And I thought that I was going to be much more grossed out by the offense, not saying it was great than the defense, but it was the opposite. I mean, the defense literally made me want to throw up everywhere last night, especially the secondary. The secondary. Brutal, brutal, brutal. I mean, do you want to start right on the defense? Yeah, I mean, we might as well. And, you know, while we're on this topic, I I think we have to say one thing, and we're not the only ones that feel this way, but what the hell, Eddie Jackson? Just what the hell? Yeah, Eddie Jackson, literally since he signed that big contract, hasn't done anything. He has been, he's been bad. And... I don't know how to explain it. I was hoping that it was the previous defensive coordinator that, um, you know, just had him in a bad scheme, but it's not. Now we have another defensive coordinator that's coming in and he looks potentially worse. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that because it, it was, it was a, I mean, the tackling, there's no nothing they can do on it. That is on him. The missed tackles. Yeah, like, that that's bad. That is just that's unacceptable. The, the, the missed tackles. He can't have that. But I'm hoping on those deep, all those deep passes that they had where the guy was wide open. I, I'm hoping that was something that was in Sean McVay's scheme because he split the he split the safeties every time. There was two high, two high safeties. 
you should never have gotten somebody over the top um, that clean. Both times they split the safeties and then somebody came into the seam and, and is wide open. So I'm hoping that's something that they watch on tape and be like, oof, this is a bad read that we did every time and they they ate our lunch. Well, and that, that's, I, well, it's cleaned up because, you know, that it, it that can't happen because that's going to happen every week now. Well, I look at two of the big Stafford throws. The first throw, the Jackson bomb that ended up going 70 yards, I believe. So the receiver Jackson catches the ball and he falls down. Eddie Jackson is right there and he's able to get up with Jackson right there. And he just goes right by him and Jackson just kind of just reaches out and then he's already by him and he's in the end zone for a touchdown. Now, the one that everyone is talking about was the Cooper Rupp 56 yard touchdown for the reason that Cooper Rupp had 11.3 yards of separation from the defender when the ball was caught in his hands. That is the most separation we have seen from a receiver from a defender in the past three seasons. And you know what's funny about that play is there was a flag on that play. And everyone thought, okay, it's probably on the Rams. There's no way he gets that wide open without, you know, some form of interference or OPI of some sort. And it ended up being on the Bears. Yeah, the crazy part is, is, is I was like, there's no way that has to have been on on the Rams offensive pass interference holding somewhere uh illegal screen something and and the bears were even indicating that it was on the rams but nope it was on the bears yeah they were all pointing towards the rams and it it wasn't because it was my i didn't realize it'd been that long since someone had that much separation on a play like that but it was still ridiculous and that happened what, right after the Bears got another touchdown? I think it happened right after the Justin Fields touchdown, and they were back into the game again. You know, they respond with the offense, and then the defense within, what, two plays, and they're back up again by 13 points because you were 11.3 yards off the wide receiver when the ball was caught by him. I just, it it was... It was so frustrating to watch because every time, and look, I'll say this too. Every time, the, not only every time did the Bears score, which, you know, was only twice, but the Bears did have a lot of time of possession. Their drives did eat up a lot of clock. And you realize that if the Bears didn't eat as much clock as they did, probably would have put up 40 plus the way they were going. The, the Rams had very, very few number of offensive plays. And I mean, part of it is they didn't need very many. They were scoring no. very quickly. The other part is the bear. You're right. The bears had a lot of time of possession. And, and if David Montgomery is not running lights out, then oof, oof. Could that have been a lot worse than it was? Yeah. And you look at Matt Stafford. In his first game as a Ram, and you look at what he did in terms of yards and completions, if you average it out, he was averaging 18 yards per completion. (sighs) Yeah. And 
The other sad thing too was I was hoping that the pass rush would be a little more productive. I was hoping that they would be able to get to Stafford a little more. I, I get it. The Rams are a good unit, but I was hoping to see a little more in that department. And you, you had half a sack from Hicks, half a sack from Quinn. And that was the only time they got to Matt Stafford. I mean, overall, just, it was a very disappointing night from the defense and I get it. Matt Stafford is pretty dang good. And Casey Rupp or Cooper Rupp, sorry, is pretty dang good. A lot of good players on that team, but I, I, I thought they'd at least be a little better defensively. The bears. Yeah. I thought the bears would show up a little more fight and I thought Khalil Mack would be able to get in and get some pressure. He was invisible. And I knew Stafford would be good, and especially in that offense. And the the crazy thing is, is, have you heard the story about Matt Stafford and prior to the trade about Cancun? No, I don't think I have. So during the pandemic, the the resort in Cancun was, was apparently pretty empty. And... Matt Stafford was there with his wife on vacation. And, you know, coincidentally enough, um, uh, Sean McVay was there with his wife or his girlfriend on vacation. And then coincidentally enough, Matt Nagy was down there with his wife. And coincidentally enough, the head coach of the 49ers was there with his wife. (laughs) There was all these NFL coaches and uh, and Matt Stafford all down there. And apparently they were basically trying to recruit him to come in a trade, but they couldn't outright say that they were trying to recruit him in a trade. Um, cause that's tampering, but they happened to run into him. Oh, no. how fancy to see you here, Mr. Stafford. Can I buy you a drink? So uh, apparently Matt Stafford very well could have been a Chicago bear. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think they can. I don't, I don't know how much Nagy would be able to convince him. <laughs> you, I, I just imagine, I imagine like all the other guys trying to be like uber sneaky going up to him, like coming behind him, you know, strategizing. Meanwhile, Matt Nagy is like trying to hide behind like a street pole and he's clearly <laughs> visible. It's like, it's like a hello, Mr. Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's talking to you. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. So, I mean, I, there was no way the Lions were going to trade to the Bears in the division, but and, and honestly, you know, Stafford is in his 30s. He's only got a few years left. I don't know. Maybe, maybe what? Five years left? Four years left? Give or take. I mean, he looks really comfortable there. He really does. But I mean, really, what were we going to sell him? The Rams are like, you know, he's like, what, what kind of things do you have for me to make my art? And Sean McVay is like, here's the 128 count box of crayons, brand new with a sharpener and the built-in sharpener in the box. And Matt Nagy's like, I got these three colors at IHOP. He's got a kid's menu that has a bunch of just crude things drawn all over it. And the crayons are all nubs and broken. And the, one of the, and one the labels of the, peeled off. One of the crayons is white. 
<laughs> like that's not even a crayon. That's a burnt French fry. <laughs> be a crayon. Could be. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> that's so true. Oh my goodness. I mean, you know, you you look at everything that happened last night offensively for the Rams and you saw all the missed tackles and there was more than just one. It was numerous missed tackles and you saw how just easily the Rams were able to break away from Bears defenders. It just, that's the kind of stuff that, like you said, the coordinator coordinates where the guys are supposed to be, where they're supposed to go, who they're supposed to cover and what kind of scheme they have. But when it comes to tackling, that's all you. And I, I'm still just boggled on what happened to Eddie Jack. Like what, what is wrong? I seriously don't get it. And I don't know if you heard, but Alex Brown on the uh, NBC Sportsnet postgame show had some kind of strong words for Eddie Jackson. And I mean, he's kind of right. Like the way, if you took away Eddie Jackson's big money and his status on the team and just looking at the rest of that secondary, the way he played, I mean, that was that was benchable bad, in my opinion. But you can't do anything about it. You're stuck. Exactly. With it. Exactly. You can't do anything about it. The way you the way you structured that contract, the way you converted and kicked kicked some of the money down the road, like you, you're stuck with him. Quality cap management, baby. It literally is. If if you start looking at at the Bears situation, the cap is okay. But the dead money is atrocious. They're yeah. going to wind up with like $40 million in dead cap money next year because Ryan Pace is a fucking terrible general manager. Like he, he's bad. Like it, it, it is. I think he thought he was just going to be fired. And then he realized, oh man, I'm not fired. Oh man, I made a mess for the next GM, but that next GM is me. Uh Oh, <laughs> <laughs> like he is, he is putting this team sure. Like, I mean, I don't think he's a bad talent evaluator. I, you've seen some of the, the picks he's had in the later rounds, but you've seen his bad at, at free agency. He's bad at uh, cap management. He's bad at trades like he shouldn't be a general manager. Like if you make him like a head scout or an assistant GM, fine, whatever. But the guy should not be a general manager, especially not for a charter franchise. When you can't really grasp the financials of football, that's a big problem because with caps, it's just it's important you got to you got to manage that well because we've seen in the NFL what happens to teams when they enter cap hell and they have to make big cuts. And, you know, speaking of which you're looking at a situation where you're really thin at cornerback and you let go of Kyle Fuller while you had other guys making way too much money. And you decided to keep Jimmy Graham, even though Cole Komet is clearly your number one tight end and, you know, overpaying guys and, taking on a lot of salary and trades. Next thing you know, you're letting go of a Pro Bowl cornerback, and now your secondary is even thinner than before. Yeah, I mean, you know, you've 
you found some, if you're, you're Ryan Pace, you found some gems, Adrian Amos, Eddie Jackson, Bilal Nichols. Um, you, you did Eddie well Goldman when he played, uh, you, you assigned Akeem Hicks. That was a good one, mm-hmm. but you know, your first round busts, Kevin White, Leonard Floyd, Mitchell Trubisky, you gambled on Adam Shaheen. Uh, you traded up for Anthony Miller, the, Robert Quinn, the extension you gave Danny Trevathan. Um, yeah. Uh, and a Danny Trevathan's a good player. He's just old. You converted a lot of Jimmy Graham's money into a signing bonus means that uh, you're going to be kicking that money down the road. Um, you're you, it's, it's just abysmal. You're right. You've had to get rid of good players because of bad decisions. And it's not acceptable. It's just not acceptable. And I don't know how you retain him after this year. Yeah. And I mean, to be completely honest with you, I'm not looking at retaining or firing on week one, but at the same time though, we're seeing the same bull crap from the coaching and the schemes and it's clearly not going to change. And it's really fresh. I mean, you know, yesterday you saw a really mixed bag of things. You saw some plays where you're like, okay, they're moving the ball. I kind of like what they're doing here. And then you saw some decisions which were bold, but you could, you know, see why you would do it. There were other decisions that were bold and you're like, what the heck are you doing? And then, of course, you saw a lot of the crap with just uh, that first drive before the interception. You're third and one and false start. And then you got to take a timeout. Is that not the epitome of Bears football right there? The, 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 the epitome of Bears football is the getting down to the, the goal line and everybody going, oh, this is where Andy Dalton throws an interception. And then Andy Dalton throws an interception. And listen, I get it was tipped. But where the hell was where it was going? Where was it going? Yeah. Even I mean, if it wasn't tipped, get. where is it going? I mean, there were, what, three Rams in that area? And if you look at the trajectory of the ball, it's even if it was either going to be intercepted or no one was going to catch it. I, I really don't get it. Was there a miscue? I, I just, there was, it was bound to be picked it it's it's absolutely unforgivable is you could have brought in justin fields and he runs that in by himself with ease and you're up seven to nothing you're up seven to nothing you could also not have a false start penalty and then just keep running it with montgomery but you know yeah in like you know, the Bears were able to run the ball and the offensive line wasn't as bad as I had expected it to be. Especially for being down to like your lowest string tackles. I mean, it was it was definitely better than I thought because I thought whoever was going to be under center was going to get sacked like eight times. You know, they had a pretty good uh a pretty good scheme for working against an absolute animal that they have on the other side of the line for the Rams, you know, uh, the, the scheme was pretty good. 
you know, there was no sacks by him until what the last play of the game. Yeah. Not until late. Um, and, uh, so they were able to run the ball pretty well and you're like, okay, you saw, I mean, you saw some, a few bad things from Jason Peters, but you saw some good things too. Like he saved Andy Dalton's life at that one spot. Yeah. Yeah. And then he went to the tunnel and, you know, and then Larry Borome came in or Borum, Larry Borum, Borophil. Uh, Larry Borum came in and did a nice job. You're okay. All right. I'm, I'm liking this. And then he gets injured and you're like, and then you bring in Elijah Wilkinson and you're like, well, what, what the hell now that's when, that's when the line just, the pressure started to come more and more because at that point the bears were down by a lot. They had to pass and all of their passes that they were completing were dinks and dunks. Dink and dunk, dink and dunk, dink and dunk. And the Rams sat on, sat on those routes. The pressure was coming and the bears were in big trouble. That was the beginning of the end. Yeah. I mean, you talk about dink and dunks. If you look at all of Andy Dalton's pass attempts, he made 38 pass attempts. Only five of those attempts were for 10 yards or more. And the longest pass was 16 was Marcus Goodwin, 16 yards. That was the longest reception of the night from any Bears quarterback, whether it was Andy Dalton throwing, whether it was uh, Justin Fields throwing. And you look at Allen Robinson, too. Six catches for 35 yards. Not one of his catches were caught, like, past 10 yards. It was basically he'd catch the ball short of 10 yards and either get tackled while trying to – get some more space or there was a time or two he was able to run and get past 10 yards but all those all the times he actually caught the ball not at where he ended up where he caught the ball all those catches were short of 10 yards and what really was frustrating was seeing more of the horizontal plays and just everything dink and duck I mean don't get me wrong there were times where the dink and dunk was working quite nice and you were able to move the ball. I also liked the way Cole Komet was used. He made five catches for 45 yards. I liked the implementation there. Heck, I'll give Andy Dalton a little bit of credit for playing well under pressure at times. There were a few times where he was getting pressured and he was able to get the ball away or was able to avoid a sack and then he was able to run for some yards. I'll give him credit for that. But when you are playing with such a limited playbook, and you're playing with a veteran quarterback who at this point is a game manager, more or less, you might be able to move the ball, which they did, but you're still not seeing a lot of points come. At the end of the day, you only scored two touchdowns. Just because you can move the ball and have time of possession doesn't always mean that you're scoring a lot and that it's, you know, you're that you're threatening to score because a lot of those drives, yeah, you could get into Rams territory and then, Things just kind of fell apart from there. But what my real concern is, is that Nagy is trying to use these receivers and do things that they are not meant to do. You see teams trying to make short pass plays, and those receivers can 
bounce off guys and turn those short passes into big gains. Yeah, the Bears have some speed, and we talked about this last week. The Bears receivers have some speed, but they're not the types of guys who are going to overpower others, bounce off guys, and turn it into big game. They might be fast, but if you're playing in front of them and the defense is going to get to them, they're going to take them down. I mean, we we saw that yesterday. You're not... You just you need to try to make more plays downfield. And I know it's harder with a banged up offensive line, but the fact that you only had five pass attempts from Andy Dalton that were past 10 yards. When you have Allen Robinson on your team, you just you can't be like that every game. And if you keep doing this despite moving the ball, you're not going to get a lot of points. Um, and the, the thing is, is you've got you've probably got the fastest a wide receiver core in the NFL possibly. And you don't get the ball to them in stride or with running room. It's they're all, you know, they turn around. Oh, Hey, I'm running this route. Let me stop and turn around or, Oh, it's a jump ball. Like it's never catch the ball in stride. It's never, it's never anything like that. It is, it is, there's no yards after the catch. It's infuriating. You watch the Rams, the Rams, when they do a bubble screen, the receivers get 70 yards. Even mm-hmm. when it doesn't work out well, it works out pretty well. The bears do a bubble screen. They get one yard or a loss of yards. It, it the bears offensive scheme had, had, uh, David Montgomery running run like somebody was slapping his mama. Like the Bears would have been in, in big trouble because Andy Dalton wasn't doing anything. And I don't know if some of that is their whole game plan was to run short routes because they were worried about Aaron Donald killing the Red uh, Red Rider. It's it, it's their whole scheme was it was broken. Yeah, and, I mean, I, I think the scheme had a lot to do with it, frankly. And when they, and the thing is, is you're like, okay, Hey, listen, we know they're going to bring in Justin Fields and they would bring him in at these random times. Mm-hmm. And the play that he, they call for him other than the touchdown were just wonky things like, Oh, Hey, he's going to hand it off. Oh, Hey, you know, it, it's not utilizing him for his talent. The hell are you doing? If you're, why put him in, if you're not going to utilize his talent. Right. I mean, we saw him hand off multiple times or what was it? Was it Damian Williams that he tried to like pitch it to in the backfield and he tried to come around and it ended up being like a negative play? Yeah, it was there was nothing like everybody fo- like hyper focused like oh, Justin Fields is in. It's going to be it's going to be a wildcat or he's handing off or he, he's just going to run with it. And, you know, the, if you're going to bring him in. Let him just play. Let him throw the ball. The guy's got a cannon. Let him go downfield. Let Aaron Donald try to catch him. Aaron Donald can't catch Justin Fields. It almost it, it almost felt like it was the Bears' way of, quote-unquote, getting Justin Fields into the game, but not letting him have the opportunity to outshine QB1. He did. He did outshine QB1. Sorry. I agree. I'm just, I'm just saying that I think that's their, that that's their logic, so to speak. Um, you know, the, the bears offensive scheme wasn't very good. 
The offensive line was much better than I thought. Jermaine Effetti was surprisingly good. Did you mm-hmm. hear Leonard Floyd's name at all last night? No, no. At least, so, at least there wasn't the whole uh, Leonard Floyd revenge narrative. That's 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 one win for us. Yeah. So you didn't see anything from. I didn't even hear his name. I forgot he was there. Um. You know, it's it's just it's frustrating. And you look at the stat line from Andy Dalton. He completed 27 passes for 206 yards, 7.6 average, no touchdowns, an interception in the end zone. He was sacked three times, quarterback rating of 72.9. Justin Fields, on the other hand, got to throw it twice, completed both of them, and ran for a touchdown. And uh, Andy Dalton... Like even with the short passes on that one fourth down, you had, you're like, okay, he's forcing a ball into Allen Robinson. But if he would have looked even slightly to his left, Cole Komet was wide open. Yeah. Like wide open. Like I could have hit him. I could have hit him dead in stride. And that guy would have run for six days. You know, it, it, it's absolutely mind-boggling that we beat Mitch Trubisky up for four years and pretty much we got a Mitch Trubisky effort here from from Andy Dalton I mean I just my whole thing with Andy Dalton is just at this point of his career what he showed you he's not going to go out and win you games alone if you want to use him as a dink and dunk guy fine but like, I, I just, I don't think just sticking with dink and dunk is going to win you enough games, especially if your defense is struggling, you might have to win games by out slugging the opponent. And the only way you're going to do that really, if you have a chance to is with Justin Fields, because he has more assets. He's got a really good arm and he's very mobile. He's very athletic and you can do a lot more with Justin Fields than you can with Andy Dalton, who at this point, like I said, is really just kind of a game manager. I, you just got to look at the situation. Sure, if Andy Dalton was more like he was a few years ago and your defense was still elite, it's a different story. But that's not the case right now. I mean, the only thing that I think Andy – let, let, me, let me rephrase this. I heard somebody say today – if this is the type of game plan you're going to use with Andy Dalton, then why not just use Nick Foles for that? Like, why did you have to sign $10 million? I mean, look, Nick Foles wasn't good last year. You didn't know you were going to luck into Justin Fields. I get what they're saying. I also do feel like Andy Dalton is a, at least will give you some mobility. Nick Foles won't give any of that, but I think there is a, a good point to that saying, if you're just going to play the dink and dunk party, then you could do that with pretty much anybody, anyone with NFL experience. But I don't, that's clearly not going to be enough to win you games. You're, you're probably going to have to outslug a lot of these opponents going forward because I don't really trust this defense right now. I don't blame you. Um, I don't trust the defense. We have, it's not like we're, we're getting a picnic this coming game against the the Bengals, the Bengals went out and beat 
beat the Vikings. And, and sure, it took some Vikings dipshittery for the help to win. Um, but, you know, they, they dropped 27 on what's supposed to be a really good defense. And you know what? Joe Burrow, with those weapons around him, that's all healthy and working. That's, that's scary. Yeah, I mean, Joe Mixon is a legit running back. Yeah. Um, and uh, Jamar Chase, their their number one pick, legit. You know, and uh, Joe Burrow connected with him on a fifty yard touchdown pass. He had one hundred and one yards receiving and a touchdown. Um, Joe Mixon ran for one hundred twenty seven yards. Joe Burrow had two hundred sixty one yards passing, two touchdowns, and a hundred twenty eight point eight quarterback rating. Like that's, that's good. Um, you know, if you're the bears, you better eat up the clock and you better score points. Kirk cousins, you know, is putting up mad numbers, 351 yards passing two touchdowns. Like that's, they held Dalvin cook to 61 yards. So the bears are going to have to win by the air. I, I, this is a game that, Justin Fields should be playing in. I think so too. I mean, it's not going to happen, but I think so too. I mean, what I would, or at least at the very least, if you're going to put Justin Fields in, in random plays and start Andy Dalton, let Justin Fields do what he can do. Don't be just pitching it to Damian Williams and doing stupid bull crap like that actually let him throw the ball and use his athletic abilities. Absolutely. And I'm looking ahead at the schedule is, I mean, the dolphins, I mean, the dolphins, the, uh, the, the Bengals. Sure. That, that could be a winnable game. Um, but then they have the Browns the week three. And I watched that, that Browns chiefs game. And I don't know how bears have any shot of beating the Browns. Yeah. Baker Mayfield. Uh... I mean, that defense is going to eat, eat the bears alive and their offense is pretty balanced. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, even if the bears are able to keep it close, what happens is uh, the bears, the bears are either behind or, you know, the other team starts edging ahead and then they start leaning on the run and then the bears start giving up like the, like yesterday's game, they shut down the run in the beginning, but then once the Rams got a lead and the bears weren't able to, you know, capitalize on some opportunities then on offense, then suddenly the run game, they pound on the run game, they pound on the run game and then it starts opening holes and then the bears are done. Yeah, especially especially those last few drives and you pretty much knew it was done by that point, but that just that put any slight hopes to bed right then and there and really in my opinion the game officially ended on the 4th and 15. I what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I I would have gone for it probably, but yeah, here's the thing. If you're going to go for it, if you know you're going to go for it on fourth and 15, then why did you, why did you try to get the whole 
the whole bit in on third down. You should have you should have picked up 10 on third down and then made it a manageable fourth down and then gone for it. And if you're going to go for it on fourth and 15, don't run a route that doesn't have any room for yards after the catch short of the sticks. That's all they do. That's all they do. They try to throw in front of the sticks and then they try to say, oh, well, we're going to try to get it after we catch. And it never works. And that's why I said, no, I hated going for it on fourth and 15 because you knew that was going to happen. And you just, you didn't trust them to convert it. And look, I know you can say, well, you kick the field goal. It's still a, you know, a two score deficit, but I'd say, look, needing two touchdowns is more difficult than needing a touchdown and a field goal. Would it have really mattered? Probably not. The defense would have you know, given up more points anyway, but I, I personally did not like going for it at fourth and 15. The other fourth down attempts as you know, even though they didn't work and they weren't the greatest attempts, I liked that Matt Nagy was at least going for it there. I liked the aggressiveness uh, because sometimes I feel like we haven't been aggressive enough. But fourth and 15, I just I didn't think it was necessary at that point. It was there were still 10 minutes left in the quarter, and it just I had no confidence the Bears were gonna convert that. You knew that it was either going to be, oh, they're gonna pass in front of the sticks, try to get the extra yards, and they'll be short, or it'll sail incomplete, or they somehow do get that conversion, but then it's called back with a flag. I just I had zero confidence it was gonna be converted. I totally agree that, you know, the bears are inept and I, I, again, I I have no problem going for it on fourth and 15 when you need multiple scores and you're, you're struggling, but then again, the bears, the way that they called an offensive game plan, they were not going to get that. I mean, tell me, did you have any confidence they were going to convert? None, none. I knew, I knew it was either going to be a sack, an incomplete pass, or it was going to be, they threw it like five yards short and the guy gets tackled because that's the thing. If it's fourth and 15, they're going to give you the underneath stuff. They're going to let you have it. They're going to take away the deep stuff because good defenses will make that play. They'll let you catch it underneath and stop you from getting yards after the catch and uh, take it away on downs. And that's, that's how it works. You know, if the bears it's fourth and three, they're throwing a one yard pass. If it's fourth and 20, they're throwing a 10 yard pass. It's just, and I get it. There's not a lot of plays in their playbook that they feel comfortable with against uh you know, this Rams defense that, that where they can get 15 yards, but I mean, you know, throw it. And what does that tell you right there? Like throw a jump ball and let Jimmy Graham go for it. Like you did against Jalen Ramsey down towards the goal line is like, they're playing physical. Let him play physical. He'll play physical right back. And that's what he did. Jalen Ramsey tried. Jalen Ramsey was pass interferencing the shit out of Jimmy Graham. And Jimmy Graham was like, all right, I don't care. I'm bigger and stronger than you. And just caught the ball and 
and they let him play. And that was one of my favorite plays of the game, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I mean we're paying him $7 million. You can at least do something. Yeah. I mean, if, if there was one big positive I took away from the offense was I like the way they utilize the tight ends. I'll say that. I, I mean, Cole Komet looked good. JP Holtz had the, an awesome block to, to get that Justin Fields touchdown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No tight end play was actually pretty good. That was, that was nice to see. And, and I just want to say is that the bears cut true font. He signs with the saints and he intercepts Aaron Rodgers. Well, if you want some consolation bears fans, Andy Dalton still looks better than Aaron Rodgers did in week one. That's true. I mean, holy, I don't think I've ever seen Aaron Rodgers play that bad. I mean, there's conspiracy theories now that people are like, he's making, he's doing this on purpose to make the Packers look bad. I don't know if he's doing it on purpose, but I do kind of feel like he's just mentally not all there. I, I, you could tell there's some antagonism there because did you hear his post-game press conference? People were like, oh, your head coach said this. And he just like dismissed it. He's like, yeah. It's like, there is, there's some bad blood there. I literally just listened to that right before we started recording the show. Uh, That was the first thing he said. And I I don't know about you. I don't know if he actually had a good look, but something physically about Aaron Rodgers looks off. Like, first of all, it looks like he's aged 10 years just over the past few months. Second, I can't really describe it. It's, I swear it's not the long hair and the beard, but he just doesn't look right. Do you know what I mean? I only watched a little bit of that game, to be honest with you. Um, I was mostly watching uh, some of the other games. Go, go on YouTube and look at his post post game presser and just, just look at him physically. I don't know if I'm overthinking this, I just, I don't know. Something just didn't look right. And I did watch a bulk of that game, honestly, between the Saints and the Packers. And the body language, just, it just so much did not look like Aaron Rodgers. And I know it's only one week, and I know we might be overreacting, but I don't know. He just, he didn't seem all there. And maybe if, if this continues... I think you could almost safely assume that he's just kind of checked out. I think we can conclude that there still isn't all lovey-dovey feelings between the Packers and him. And, you know, frankly, I can't help but question if there are issues or there's some animosity from his teammates. I just, I, I can't help but wonder. Just imagine, though, is if you gave Aaron Rodgers the the new Orleans saints system, like what he could do with that offense. The most efficient game ever by a quarterback was by Jameis Winston. You don't throw for more than like, what was it? 150 some yards. I think it was like, wasn't he? Did he even hit 150? I thought it was like 148 yards and five touchdowns. Yeah. He had five touchdown passes and like 
I, I can't remember the exact number, but it was well less than 200 yards. Like that is as efficient as you get. It was literally an NFL record for most touchdowns with the least amount of yards. And that is what a Sean Payton team does that a Sean Payton team is prepared. He threw it for 148 yards. There you go. 14, 14 for 20, 148 yards, five touchdowns, no sacks, 130.8 quarterback rating. And no interceptions, even though he should have been picked off once that roughing the passer was kind of bogus, but still pretty impressive. Aaron Rodgers, on the other hand, 15 for 28, 133 yards, zero touchdowns, two interceptions, and a 36.8 quarterback rating. And those interceptions were not fluky. Those weren't just like, oh, they were deflected and it was just a bad bounce. Like, no, those were picked. But if you could put an Aaron Rodgers in and give him a Sean Payton offense, like, he It'd be unstoppable. Yeah, yeah. We'll I mean, see that, what, that we'll guy see made Taysom Hill look like an NFL quarterback. It's crazy. It really is crazy. We'll see what happens. I mean, for all we know, next week against the Packers play Detroit next week, and Aaron Rodgers could go off for a hundred for three hundred eighty yards and four touchdown passes, and everything's fine. But you know, a bad game's a bad game. One week's one week. All I'm saying is there's more than just the way he played that doesn't look normal with him. And let's face it, the drama between him and Green Bay is no secret. You know what's funny is I watched some of that Lions 49ers game. Mm -hmm. And the Lions scored a lot of stuff in garbage time. But what's crazy is Jared Goff threw for 338 yards. And his top three receivers were not wide receivers. Yeah, it was tight ends and running backs. Yep, tight ends. Tight end was number one. And then two and three were running backs. I was like, man, <laughs> you know, he, he didn't have a single a wide receiver break 50 yards in receiving. And the guy for, threw for almost 350 yards. But that Lions team, they didn't quit. No, they didn't. And they they made it interesting, even though there was no way they were winning. But, I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo picked them apart. And, and Mitchell ran all over them. Yeah, you know, I think that the Lions have enough guys on offense where they can score points, but their defense is going to let them down a lot. And, you know, that's obviously they're in a rebuild mode. They weren't built to win now. And but I, you do have to give the Lions some props because I feel like if Dan Patricka was still coaching that team, they would have lost that game like 47 to 10. Like it wouldn't even have been semi-interesting. Yeah, but it's, you know, you, you look at the schedule. I mean, relating this back to the Bears, you look at the schedule. It's going to be a tough one against the Bengals next week. That Bengals team looks pretty good. It's going to be a real tough one against the Browns. That Browns team looks legit. I, after that first half, I was like, I think this team is, is going to beat the chiefs. 
And the Chiefs came back and, and won that game, but the Browns weren't afraid of them. And the Browns gave them everything they could. And, uh, you know, so come the playoffs, that could be a different, different matchup. So that, the Browns look legit. They look really good. It's not until week four when you play the Lions that you're like, okay, I feel like we could get a win without a, a dogfight. There's a chance the Bears start off one and three. Like yeah. a real chance. Yeah. I don't see the secondary stopping the Browns. And I think that it could be a close game. I, I'm not saying it's impossible for the Bears to win against the Bengals. But I could definitely see them losing. I mean, they you know, got to clean not, some stuff up fast. Yeah, I'm not saying that. But if if Joe Burrow and Chase are on target and Eddie Jackson is sleepwalking, it's gonna be it's gonna be a rough it's gonna be a rough ride. And the Browns, like I think they could keep it close, but by the end, uh, Nick Chubb is gonna take that game over and, and dominate. He just looked unstoppable. Yeah, that's going to be tough. In fact, in fact, he's on, he's my running back on my team. And he got me 39 points in fantasy football. Just saying my, my, uh, my team's pretty stacked. I have Patrick Mahomes and Nick Chubb. Oof. Mine lost by like two points because Devontae Adams didn't do much. And also, Cairo Santos didn't kick enough. He only kicked an extra point or two extra points. I I also have Harrison Butker, the kicker for the Chiefs. I have Denver's defense. I have Matt Stafford. My daughter walked in during the Bears game. She looks and she goes, Dad, the Bears don't look good. I think you need a break. <laughs> well, she's probably right. Um, yeah, I, I mean, listen, I'm not going to get overly, overly excited about one week of the NFL season. It's a long, I mean, it's not a long season, but it's, there's 17 games. They got 16 more games to play. They got to clean things up. You yeah. absolutely have to clean them up. They had they got a rough ride in that first game. You know, it's a team that legitimately could go to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And so we all got, saw it coming. It wasn't yeah. really a surprise. The thing is, is like earlier you said, you know, oh, I'm not going to beat up Ryan Pace after week one. And uh, honestly, I'm not beating him up because of week one. I'm beating him up because I was beating him up from last season. And and we still see issues. And that's fair. And I, I didn't mean it in that way. What I kind of meant to say was I'm not ready to do the firing speculation just yet in week one. That's if you want to beat them up for past moves, that's, that's perfectly fine. I totally get it. I'm just, I'm talking from a whole firing perspective. Oh, I get, I get it. And I just, there's all kinds of problems that we knew about and the bears just mismatch mismanage things is, uh, you know, you, you botched, you botched your defensive backs, your cornerback situation is you got abused there. Um, you botched, you botched the situation with your best wide receiver. You 
botched the the left tackle situation. And I'm I'm not even again, I'm not even never once was I mad that they got rid of Charles Leno. We saw what Charles Leno was. If you watched anybody that watched the Reds, sorry, the Washington football team game, Charles Leno was worse than he was last year for the Bears. I didn't see any of that game. The only thing I saw from that game was sewage literally leaking down on fans. <laughs> Is that not the most FedEx field thing you ever heard? I saw that video and I texted my best friend. And I was like, there's literally doo-doo water dripping on fans at FedEx field. And he's like, what? And I sent him the video. He is like, he's like, as if being at that game wasn't shitty enough. Yeah. It's, it's literally shitty now. Yeah. If you guys haven't seen it, there's video of sewage water from a busted pipe dripping on, not even dripping. It's like, it looks like an overflowing gutter just coming down on uh, a bunch of seats at the, the Washington football team game and fans are like running away from those seats and it is gross and hilarious. FedEx field is often land based. It is one of the worst stadiums in the NFL. And of course, Dan Snyder isn't exactly in great light in the public eye either. So if it's going to happen anywhere, why should we be surprised that it happens at FedEx field? Dan Snyder is, uh, he is bogus. I don't know how the NFL lets him still have a team. But, uh, you know, I, with the bears, I, I just don't know how, how one franchise can keep being a joke year in and year out. And honestly, it comes from ownership down. The best teams historically have had the best ownership. You look at the, you know, the Steelers, great ownership. Like you, you look, you know, you, you give legit people the tools that they need and the support that they need, and you keep a winning program. You look at the Bears, and they let an accountant run the team, and they let the the idiot son, you know, run the team. They're too, they don't know anything about football. There's literally the only reason Ryan Pace has a job right now. Shit, you not is I guarantee it is because. Uh, George McCaskey and Ted Phillips are legit too scared to fire him because they're going to have to go through the GM search again and they don't want to do it. They don't want to do it. They're scared to do it because then they get, they are in the spotlight. They're in the hot seat. You know, at least when the general manager is being bad, they could be like, well, he, he sold me on a plan for how they're going to get better just got to wait a little more time. And, but when they actually pull the trigger and they fire somebody, then it becomes, it becomes, uh Oh, all eyes are on us. What are you going to do to save this team? And it's, they don't know how to pick. They don't know how to pick a general manager. 
That's why they hired a, a, a firm to, or, you know, a consultant to help them figure out who to hire as general manager. And then they use the same consultant to help them hire John Fox to be their, to be their next head coach. And, and Ernie, of course, is just got paid a butt ton of money for doing a terrible job. Ernie Corsi is a dinosaur. But, like I, I don't, I don't know what else to do. You, you botched it. Is, Did you hear the naggy quote about uh, Justin Fields? No. Oh God. So basically, they were saying they, as in Nagy speaking for himself and the coaches, that they were planning to play Justin Fields more. If the game were closer, here's the quote, quote, we had the plan and we stuck to our plan. We knew where and when we were going to use him and we stuck to that. And so we'll see where that goes and how we do it. But I think we all understand that for us strategically, we'll see where we go with that without giving anything away. Dude, you're the coach. If you want to put him in, regardless of the the situation, put him in. Right. You could do what you want. You could literally bench uh, Dalton and put in fields right now forever. And, uh, and you're the coach. You can do those things. I, I just want Virginia McCaskey to catch some life in her, drag her a 90, almost 99 year old body down there, the field and just plant her boot in somebody's ass and raise hell. Because that woman, people are like, oh my God, she shows up to every game. It's amazing. She's got so much energy. Like, you know what? Put a damn winning product on the field. Like, what else? You, not again, not being morbid, in, in like, in like three months, she turns 99 years old. Like, like she is on her last legs. I, I mean, literally, what, what is the, the max age she could possibly live? Uh, and, you know, so she doesn't have a lot of time left. Is put a boot in somebody's ass. Try to get a winning team on the field before you go. She's going to be like Mr. Burns in that one episode with Bobo and it's like thousands of years in the future and his head is preserved in like a robot. <laughs> oh, oh, Bobo, I swear I will never let you go again. But I mean, how many, like literally how many more years she could she have? Like two, one? Just win a damn game. Why she's she's the owner? Go down there. Be like, you know what? You know what? Idiot Ted Phillips and idiot George. Fire those two idiots. Fire, fire everybody. Like get she. Get. She goes like Mo Howard and be like, all right, you two numbskulls. <laughs> oh my god, how amazing would that be if they just started doing a Three Stooges routine <laughs> where she, uh, where she was a uh, Mo Howard and and. Uh, 
Like, <laughs> I, I'm just trying to think is, is which, who's going to be curly. I'm going to, I'm guessing George McCaskey. He seems like a curly. Yeah. He could be curly. And then uh, you could have Ted Phillips as Larry. <laughs> she goes down there. She takes her heads. Bonk. <laughs> this guy, huh? <laughs> after the game when they lose you see george mccaskey doing that like running circle thing on the ground whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> oh i could totally just watch that in my head and uh ryan pace just sit there with his dumb dumb stare what's going on oh oh god i I'm just, I'm just fed up. I'm just tired. It's, I put so much effort into watching these games every week and they just can't put a real team on the field. And the thing is, is I, I get it. Listen, Matt Nagy, you know, can be like, well, shit, Ryan Pace is not giving me the best team to work with. But then you, you look and you're like, well, you know what? There's other coaches that go out there and win with equally as bad a rosters. Just be a better coach. It, it's so infuriating. Is you, you saw the you saw success last year when you yanked the play calling out of his hands, and then he's like, "I I'm going to resume play calling duties." Well, what changed? What changed? Nothing. Like when you look at it, a situation like. What makes him think that him just going back, taking play calling duty is suddenly just going to work? Like what? Like I could see if he's like, you know what? I rewatched the films. I, I saw what I did wrong. I, you know, whatever the case may be. He's like, I've, I've cleaned up my, my in call or my in-game play calling. I've cleaned it up where I don't have so many plays. I've worked on getting them in quicker so we don't have delay a game penalties. Like he didn't do anything and he suddenly thinks it's just going to work. And what, you know, what's the definition of futility? Like if you, if you keep trying something that doesn't work and not change anything, that's just like the definition of failing. Yep. I, I, it's so frustrating. Just like either, either give up the play calling or fucking get a mirror look in it and be like, listen, asshole, here's what you need to fix. Like, I, I swear the man does not own a mirror. He, there's no self-reflection in there. He's, he's got this, he's got, it's not even a confidence. He's got like this hubris where it's this arrogance that he thinks he's better. And he scoffs off anything that any criticism of himself, there's like, he just like, listen to him talk. Whenever he talks about criticism, he globalizes it. It's well, you know, the, the whole league is struggling because of, you know, less, not enough practices. There's never the responsibility. He scoffs at when there's actual criticism of him. It's he does not feel he is justified in being criticized. And I don't know. I don't understand where that comes from because the man came in taunting he was going to bring us the Kansas City Chiefs and what he's brought us is the Detroit Lions. Yeah, I just, what always gets me is 
it's the same crap that doesn't work and you continue to try to fit the square peg into the round hole over and over and over again. That's what really just gets me. Like, do you not see how this is not working? And you would think, you would think that if Matt Nagy wants to keep his job, he has to make big changes. And Justin Fields could be the key to saving his job. So how long are you going to ride with Andy Dalton? It's probably going to depend on how they play over the next few weeks. But like you said, they could easily start one and three. I mean, there's going to be a point where if Andy Dalton is not winning with you continually, you have to make a change because Justin Fields can bring more to the table with his skill set and abilities. You are limited with the current form of Andy Dalton. You know, I've said this a million times. I'll say it again. The Andy Dalton you have is not the one that was going to Pro Bowls five plus years ago. You know that what you have is limited. And if you're coaching scared and you're not confident in your starting veteran quarterback to do things, then what are you even doing? Why are you doing it? Yeah, I'm looking at the schedule here and I, I don't know. It's tough. Games I thought I hadn't noted as victories. I'm starting to question now because of what I've seen in week one. Other games where I've had as locks as, as losses are like I'm reconsidering. The Bengals look a lot better than I expected them to. The Browns look, I, I mean, not that I expected the Browns to be bad. I think they just look much better than even I, I had expected. And I had fairly high expectations. Um, I'm watching the Raiders game while we're recording and they look terrible. So maybe that becomes a win. Uh, I'm hoping we get the Packers like on the Packers from week one, but I doubt eh, it. Don't bet on that. Um, the Buccaneers look a lot better than I was expecting them to look. I thought they would take a step backwards and um, they have not. Uh, I don't know what 49ers we're going to get. Are they going to get the team that let the lions back into the game? Or are we going to get the ones that were running rough shot on them? I thought the Steelers were going to be a, a, a win because that seemed like a game, a, a team that really just fizzled at the end of last season. And Ben Roethlisberger is 200 years old <clears throat> and not aging gracefully. And they looked really good. I don't know. I still think they could beat the Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger. He cannot move for crap. And I feel like the bears front seven, even though they've been disappointing so far can absolutely feast on that. But that's just my opinion. Um, the Ravens actually look a lot better than I expected them to. <clears throat> and the Cardinals look better than I expected them to. Yeah. How about them? They put a whooping. And I thought the Seahawks would take a big step backwards and they looked good. Um, the giants look just as bad as I thought <laughs> they're yeah. the one team. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just, I mean, it's, it's tough to gauge at this point because I don't know where, where the intersection of shaking off the rust, um, and being scared to play the Rams because they, you know, at times they look scared and, um, they call, they play called to be scared of the Rams. And I, I don't know how much of it was that, that versus how much of it, the Rams are just good versus 
you know, you play a team in, in your own league and, and you, you're suddenly a lot better. I, I don't know. I don't know, but I'm, I'm going to pick the bears losing next week to the Bengals, but it's going to be close. I'm going 24, 21. All right. What do you, what do you see happening here? I'm just for the sake of being different. I think they're going to squeak it out. 23 to 20. Yeah. I think I Kyra so. Santos <laughs> is going to hit uh, a game winner towards the end. I sure hope so. I hope so too. I- I'm not exactly sure if I'm confident in that, but like I said, I just wanted to be a little different and maybe give them a slight edge being at home. So, and hoping that for somehow, some way they can make adjustments appropriately still not confident but it would be really nice if they could clean up a few things particularly tackling on the defensive side that would be nice and maybe if you are going to bring in Justin Fields for a few plays that you do more with him and I'm going to say this too about next week's game I know we don't like Andy Dalton starting but when he gets mercilessly booed, I, I'm not going to lie. I, I do kind of feel for him on that. I absolutely. He's a human being. I, I, there's no fault in Andy Dalton. Like any of us would, if somebody was like, oh, hey, here's here. Let me quadruple your salary or triple your salary or whatever it was. And to go and, and get a better job, like who's not going to take that? Like, you know, the, the guy is on the last he's on the back nine of his career. Let him earn. He's trying to earn that money because the thing is, is you're never going to earn like that again. This is, you know, it's not like us regular people that we are, we earn every year until it's time to retire. These guys have a window to earn, you know, the vast majority of the money that they're going to make in their career. And and then bank on it for the rest of their lives. So yeah, go make that $10 million. I'm not faulting Andy Dalton. They knew what he was. He never, it's not like he lied on his resume. No. They, uh, they, it was on film. Film don't lie. The bears looked at the film and they went, yeah, that's our guy. $10 million. Here you go. Uh, why in the world would you boo him? I mean, I get, I want Justin Fields too. But, uh, you know, go and go in and, you know, cheer your team to win. Justin Fields will play eventually. I would much rather have Andy Dalton play all season and the Bears go 17 and 0 and win the Super Bowl and never see Justin Fields take the team, the field than Andy Dalton be awful, them lose a lot of games, and then be him be forced in. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and Lamar Jackson is good. I can't wait yes, for that, Eddie uh, for Justin Fields to be like that. You hope, um, right? But I, so I don't understand why Bears fans boo him. My big hope is that 
Andy Dalton delivers on, we've always talked about it, that the Bears are always on the receiving end of a revenge game. Can we be the victim, uh, victimizer in, in a revenge game? Can Andy Dalton go off and drop 350 and four touchdowns on the Bengals and be like, that's what you get for messing with the, the red rifle? That would be nice for once, for once to be on the other side of a revenge game. Like, that would I, be really I nice. can't remember the last time I was on the right side of a revenge game. I can't really say I can remember it either. The closest I can think of to revenge games is pretty much anytime Michael Jordan took a, went to the NBA finals. It was like, and then it was a revenge game because Michael Jordan invented something to be mad about. And you're like, Oh, Oh, that guy, that guy said, Michael Jordan was nice guy. Oh, that's it. We're dropping 40 on him tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, just like out of the last dance and I took it personally <laughs> and I had but, the whole pizza the whole pizza I was throwing up everywhere uh, I, like when when did the Bears get to be on the right side of a revenge game maybe that comes on Sunday the way you said that you sounded so doubtful and yet trying to be optimistic it's kind of funny <laughs> uh it just you hype yourself up. That's what you do. You hype yourself up. Yeah, that's all you can do, right? I mean, at least in this upcoming game, they'll be at home. That'll be nice. Until you hear all the booze for Andy Dalton, that won't be very nice. But you just hope they could go out there and you could get this win and you can even up your record and get back into things because getting that first win is always one of the biggest challenges. And once you get it, it at least, uh, you know, you won't be the next uh, Lions or Browns, right? I'm not saying they're going out in 17, but, you know. Hey, at least at least we have the next three games, our actual Sunday noon games. Yeah, and, you know, I, I know a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, you know, we can watch at night and it's the only game, blah, blah, blah. I don't know about you, man, but I, my favorite time to watch my football team play is on a on – a, Sunday noon or even a three o'clock, but Sunday noon games, in my opinion, are the best. Yeah. That, you know, the only thing I could think of better is um, my, my buddy was like, Oh, when I lived in, in California, he's like, and he's a bears fan. He's like, you would, uh, you'd watch the bears game and it'd be on at like 10 in the morning. Like, all right you get the football game out of the way in the morning and then you have your whole afternoon. Like, all right, I could get behind that. Yeah. And the other nice thing too is, is when bears games go really bad at noon games, you could kind of just turn it off and enjoy the day. Yeah. That's, that's nice. I mean, with the Sunday, I don't like the primetime games. I don't like, you know, everybody I know is watching and that aren't bears fans. And they're like, Oh, man, the bears are terrible. Whew. And then I just get all those text messages and you know, it's, it's always at a terrible hour. Like I don't want to be watching a game at 10 o'clock at night on a Sunday night. I'm like, I'm already, I'm busy, busy being, uh, having anxiety that I have to go to work the next day. And like, I just want to, I want to chillax. I don't want to get, you know, 
anxiety ridden watching this terrible bears team. Like I, I just let me, let me put it on, you know, do things in the morning, you know, settle in, watch game from there in the afternoon and then have the rest of my night free. That's the way I like it. Yeah. That's kind of how I like it too. And I also like how we do this show on Sunday noon games or even, you know, the three o'clock games where we can watch the game and then we talk about it and the game is fresh in our mind and we don't have to lamentful 24 hours before we talk about it again. You know, I just, I like doing it all in one day. And you know, the other thing too about those noon games is I like that it's going on during so many other games so while you're watching the Bears game, when there's commercial break, you could just kind of scoreboard watch. It's something to do in between each, because I mean, let's face it, there's so many dang commercials for football games these days. It's just kind of nice to have that thing to do in between plays and stuff. Yeah. And I, I have the Sunday ticket, so it's nice. I can, I can watch pretty much any game I want. There you go. Um, let's switch and talk a little baseball here. Hey, speaking uh, of baseball, I, I do have a little tidbit I want to share with you. Ooh, let's go. At 44 years old, this man is still hitting home runs over in Japan. This man's name is Kosuke Fukudome. And they, uh, Bleacher Nation just posted a, <clears throat> a video on Facebook of him homering for the Dragons at, I think it's the Dragons he's playing for. Uh, 44 years old, still hitting bombs in Japan. Good for him. Yeah, good for him. I, I can't be mad if Fosuke Fukudomi. There is a, so on Irving Park in Portage Park in Chicago, there's a sports tour. It's called Jan Sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, I, I, I swear it is a front for something illegal because it's a pretty big store. Like, like it's a, it's a, it's a fairly big store. Like it's as big, it's, you know, it's as big as like a McDonald's. So it's a, it's a fairly big size, you know, building and they don't, I've never, I've lived here for like eight, nine years. And I've never once seen it open. Not once. They don't have any hours posted uh, and they get mail, but they don't have any hours posted and directly across the street is a, is a dairy queen. And I was talking with the lady that owns the dairy queen. I was like, have you ever seen that place open? And she goes, and she goes, not once ever. And where was and this at again? It's on, it's like a uh, Irving just West of central. Okay. So it's in Chicago. It's in Chicago. And when you look in the, it's a sports store. Like they sell like, like, you know, like Clark street sports, kind of like that. Except when you look in the window, it is, they have like a Fukudomi Jersey. They have a a Rex Grossman Jersey. Like it is all jerseys from a long time ago. They're all sun faded. It is wild. Like it is like, it's like a time, time warp. Like how, they like how do you keep paying the rent on this place and you've you don't sell anything the the there's no website there's no record of them the phone number doesn't go to anything there's no hours posted on the store 
I can't explain it, but they got a Fukudomi jersey in the window. There is a place just like that or was a place just like that in Wheaton where it had a bunch of sports memorabilia and like tchotchkes. And I never saw anyone go in there. I never saw it open, but it was in the windows and so much of it was so sun faded. It had stuff from 2010 Blackhawks, old Bears stuff, old Cubs, White Sox, Bulls stuff just hanging in there. And I never saw anybody go in there and go out until when I drove by just like a week or so ago and the place was fully cleared out. But for years, it was just like that. That's why I had to ask exactly where it was. That's, that's funny. It's like a drug front. <laughs> yeah. The address is 5635 West Irving park. Interesting. I, I, I can't explain it. And there's there's no no Yelp reviews because they're not a real business. <laughs> that ain't shady. Uh, yeah, I can't explain this at all. Can't explain it. Um, but baseball, uh, it, it's still happening. <laughs> the season is still going on. And, you know, the, the Cubs, they haven't looked terrible. No, they got beat up by a much superior Giants team uh, this weekend. And I think the big storyline from that was obviously just having Chris Bryant come back and getting an ovation pretty much every time he came to the plate. And I loved the way the Cubs fans greeted him. I loved the way he acknowledged the crowd. I loved the way that uh, they had the tribute video of him and he was clearly getting emotional. And, you know, people want to say that he didn't want to be a cub, yada, yada. And I don't believe that. I think he truly did like being here in Chicago, loved being part of that World Series team. He loved the fans. His wife loved it here. They loved being part of Chicago. It's just, you know, they didn't get the business side of things in agreement. And, he got traded away. And I think that while there may be some frustration that things didn't work out that way, I, I don't think Chris Bryant's ever going to look back and be like, yeah, I didn't like being in Chicago. It didn't mean anything. I don't believe that at all. I think he really did genuinely like being here. You know, it's weird though, is because the stories that Jed Hoyer and Chris Bryant tell are like diametrically opposed. Like there's, there's not a reality where those two stories are, are both true, but you both feel, well, you feel from both sides, like, Hey, they, they really wanted this marriage to work in Chicago and it just didn't work out. And I, I I mean, I don't, I don't have any animosity towards Chris Bryan. Neither do I. Um, you know, I don't know what, I don't even know what the future holds with him. Like, where does he, does he stay in San Francisco? Does he, does he move on back to Chicago? Does he go to the, become a Yankee? I, I don't know. Does he, does he go to the Dodgers and replace uh big red? Yeah. I don't know. There, the, there's a, it is a murky crystal ball, but you know, the world is his oyster. 
Yeah, it's going to be an interesting offseason. He seems to fit very well over in San Francisco. The question is, is San Francisco going to pay for him? That's remained to be seen. Uh, so I, I still have doubts he's going to come back here, but I'm kind of in the position now. What's done is done, and you can't really dwell on it anymore. I'm glad he came back to a nice big ovation. He deserved it. He was an MVP, Rookie of the Year, made the final out of the World Series. He was the centerpiece of that team. Shouldn't have any bad feelings whatsoever, and I wish him nothing but the best in the future. So now that that whole weekend has passed and he's had his homecoming and his welcome backs and his ovations, I think I could just put it to bed. It's it's done. Time to move forward. Yeah, and we all know that the big story this week was Jason Hayward showed up. <laughs> he had a home run to beat the Reds. Yeah, that Woo! was laser. <laughs> Uh, he got that batting average over 213. <laughs> hey, Ian Happ's been hot too. That's maybe he's upping his trade value when someone will sucker into giving us something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, the Cubs had a nice series against the Reds. The Reds are a good team. You know, there's no denying that. And the Cubs, the Cubs played them well. And you know, you had, I don't know what expectations you had going in against the Giants. That's a um, really good team. It's a really good team. The Cubs don't match up against them at all. And y- you saw why they're a far superior team than you. Um, and, you know, you, you, you really weren't in that series at all. Even the, hey, game that was the six- finale was uh, close. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, six to five. Yeah, okay. But it's, um, you know, I, I don't know. It's you had, you came back and you had some, a run late, you know, but the, the giants, the giants just consistently scored where they score every inning for like the middle innings. Yeah. Uh, Evan Longoria was going off too. And he's one of my favorites. So I couldn't help but be like, you know what? Good for that guy. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it was just a tough series. You know, we knew it was going to happen. I, I don't think, I mean, I was, I was hoping you, you took one game, you know, maybe eked one out, uh, but you didn't and, you know, big whoop. Yeah. It doesn't really matter at this it doesn't, point. It doesn't matter. You know, you got the Phillies coming or you're, you're going to Philadelphia, but, uh, and, um, yeah, you, know, you 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 see what Samson can do. <laughs> At least um, Kyle Hendricks had a bounce back. That's start. what he's but that's what all season has been. It's like crap game, crap game, crap game. We write him off, bounce back game. And you're like, all right, what the hell are you doing, guy? Like, be consistent. Yeah, I don't know really what's going on. I I've been wondering all season why he's been dog turd tacos so much, but. Uh, you know, and I, I was disappointed in the, in the, the start by Justin Steele. Yeah, that was, that was rough. That wasn't very good. I mean, I guess it's a bad matchup there, but you know, uh, we need to see better out of him. You know, that's the future that we're, we're banking on. Um, but it, it was brutal. And then the, the Saturday game, man, 
Whew. Davies bad. Um, Alzale wasn't very good. Uh, Rodriguez was terrible. Um, Rex Brothers was bad. Like it was just like it was like a a clown, you know, clown parade of bad pitching. Yeah, not not great, not great. And I think uh, we can say Zach Davies is not going to be back next year. No, and he shouldn't be. He was he was brutal, and uh, you know we're we're learning quickly that there's some bad pitchers on this team. Yeah, I mean you look McGill at is the- bad, Rucker yeah. is bad. Like there's yeah. some bad pitching. I mean, you look at the pitchers that are on this team currently. I think the ones that are going to be back next year are going to be Hendricks, Alzali, Mills. Steele, Cody Hoyer, and Rowan Wick. Those are the main guys that are going to be back. I, I mean, you'll probably see another one or two sneak in here, but uh, all efforts have to be put forward to, to, to getting better pitching. You know, it, it's brutal. What It's like the Cubs have no ability to, to manufacture pitching. No, that that needs to improve drastically. And we're finally seeing our first pick of this year's draft, Jordan Wicks, pitching in the minor leagues. So that's good. He's throwing, he's pitching in a professional setting, and he's going to be very important going forward because you drafted him high, you need to develop pitching. He's said to have the stature of John Lester with the changeup of Cole Hamels. You better hope that that is going to come to fruition because you're going to have to sign some guys too, but you need to grow at least one reliable starting pitcher for this next wave. You need one frontline starter. You know, you can't, you can't be like, Oh, our five starter is homegrown. You you need, you need your one or your two. Right. uh, Homegrown. Ideally Jordan Wicks can be a two. Like let's say in the future, Kyle Hendricks is a three Jordan Wicks is a two. And then you're, able to acquire a legitimate ace, someone with stuff with less margin for error than a guy like Kyle Hendricks, who doesn't throw very hard. No disrespect to Kyle Hendricks. He's been incredibly good throughout most of his career, but I just don't think that in this day and age of baseball, you can't rely on your ace being a guy that relies on location and not stuff because the room for error is just so little now. That that is the key. Like you, that term you use, the margin of error, is is a perfect term, because when you're throwing heat or you have nasty spin or you know even even if you're uh you know throwing sliders and then you're missing the zone, if you've got good stuff, people will swing at it, and and you can get out of jams that way. When Kyle Hendricks is is not feeling it it's bombs away because it's so slow. It's not fast. Right. Right. We've seen this year where he wants to put a cutter or a fastball on the edge, but it ends up being right down the middle and it's getting hit really hard when, you know, you're able to locate, you can execute it flawlessly, but one little tink that's off, then it changes everything. Yeah. And that was just the beauty of Greg Maddox is the guy just didn't miss. No, I, he was a freak of nature. 
Like, honestly, he was a freak of nature. You know, it, very, I mean, you know, a similar style pitcher of as Kyle Hendricks, but it just the guy's command was, I mean, honestly, there's not too many guys that have ever pitched Major League Baseball that had the the command and the accuracy and the control of a Greg Maddox. And, right. You know, like yeah, I, I mean, he knew where the ball was going to go when you hit it. I lived through the the Roger Clemens era, and that guy just he was throwing heat. And you know, he had some other pitches, but good God, there's the heat. You know, when you could consistently throw it. 99 miles an hour, um, you know, is a different story, but Greg Maddox, you just watch it. was like poetry. It, it was unreal. Yeah, he was, uh, he was special. And I'm still glad that I have the Jersey that I have of the throwback Cubs. And that was the Jersey I of his that I wore the night they beat the Cardinals in the playoffs, the night they won the pennant, the night they won the world series, a lot of good times are had wearing that. Yeah, it, uh, you know, it, it's fantastic. You know, he's great. I, I wish, I wish he would have been a Cub lifelong, but you know, we got the early and the late years. Yeah, his some was better than none. Um, White Sox. Um, you know, we got to see two series of them this week. The the A's series, you, you know, it's funny. The A's match up to them pretty well. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw that last year where they, they got overpowered in, in the playoffs by the A's. And this year, you're, you still watch. Uh, and uh, and just the A's, the A's are able to, you know, really have the number of the White Sox. And it's funny is we talked about how Jimmy Lambert was coming up for, um, I don't remember which pitcher he was coming in for, but was it Giolito maybe? Cause me, Giolito me, was on the IL and, uh, uh, Lance Lynn was right. Yeah. So whatever Jimmy Lambert came in to start a game. And at that point he was giving up a, averaging a run an inning and you're like, Oh God, Oakland's going to eat him alive. And you know, Jimmy Lambert had a quality start five innings, uh, you know, just gave up the one run and you're like, okay, all right. I mean, it wasn't, you know, the, the best of starts, you know, only two strikeouts, two walks, but you know, that's for who he is. It was pretty good. Yeah. For who he is. And you had, uh, Ryan Tapera and Garrett crochet come in and, and pitch well, um, Liam Hendricks comes in and gets the save. You're like, all right, uh, I can, I can hang with this. You know, that's, it's a nice start to this. Um, and then Oakland comes back the next day and just stomps a mud hole in you. And Dallas Keuchel has another dog shit game. Yeah. I mean, like I said, if everyone else is healthy in your rotation, come playoffs, then Keuchel is your odd man out. You have Giolito healthy again, and you have Lance Lynn healthy again. And then you have Carlos Rodon. There's your top three. So then your number four is probably Dylan Cease. You know, I don't even know if he's going to make the playoff roster. And if he does, maybe you bring him in, in certain bullpen situations, but 
there's I don't see any way at this point right now, unless God forbid there's an injury that Dallas Keuchel is starting any playoff games, unless maybe he's an opener. I don't know, but uh, you have four starters that are clearly better than him. So I almost don't even pay much attention to Keuchel anymore just for that reason. I mean, when was the last time he didn't give up five or more runs in a, uh, in a game? I honestly don't know. It has been brutal. And, you know, that White Sox lineup without uh, Tim Anderson just continues to, to, to slump away. Yeah, I mean, you look at the Boston series following it, you won two or three, which is good. And the pitching outside game two is what really helped you win. I mean, you won two to one on Sunday. Didn't Lance Lynn pitch that game? I didn't actually see it, but I believe he pitched that game and obviously did pretty well. And then you had game one, you won four to three, a close one, but your bullpen came in and shut it down appropriately. The back end of the bullpen looked dominant. Like you hope it is. If it's dominant in October, then you can win the world series. So that's how you hope it pitches going forward. If you're the white Sox and, you know, you want that. Obviously, the middle game, Dylan Cease got lit up a bit. And with Dylan Cease, it's just – it's finding consistency because we've seen him put together some pretty good starts, and then he'll have that start where he just gets bombed. Or he'll have that start where he won't necessarily give up a lot of runs, but a lot of pitches, guys get on base, and he's out by, like, the fourth or fifth inning. So he's there's still some work to be done with him, but – I feel like at this point you can confidently put him in as a number four in a rotation when it comes to playoffs. Cause the top three are obviously the best Yeah, in Rodon and Giolito and Lynn. Yeah. Dylan C's had a rough start there against the, uh, the, the Red Sox. Um, but you got, uh, Friday, you had Rodon pitch, and um, and he pitched a solid game. Ryan Tapera is the one that almost blew that one. Um, and and then yesterday, you have Lance Lynn comes back from disabled list, uh, like you said, and he pitches a gem. Five innings, no runs, nine strikeouts, no walks. Garrett Crochet comes in, uh, pitches two innings of of shutout baseball, and then Craig Kimbrell comes and you know tries to give the game away. I didn't see what he did exactly in that game. I mean, what even happened? He just the command. He walked a couple. I, I think he walked two or three guys. Um, you know, he gave up a hit and just just didn't have the command it's it's like this it's kind of like what we the craig kimbrell that the white Sox are seeing is like the craig kimbrell you know we saw when when he first came back when we were just scared to death of him going out there you're like not really getting hit too hard it's just no command and he's he's walking guys yeah yeah i mean we've seen that with him on the cubs as well and it, it can be unnerving I mean, he he picked the right time to 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 start sucking is after they trade him because they got the, your max trade value. But man, it's he ended up getting the win, but he blows the save and the White Sox 
have to come back and, um, you know, on Lurie Garcia's home run. Hey, whatever gets it gets the win, I guess. Right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, it takes, takes whatever you can get, uh, to get the victory, you know, but, um, you know, they, I, Tim Anderson needs to come back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no question about that. That, that team is, is struggles without him. Like, he's an important cog. I mean, um, he's, he's the guy that brings a lot of the energy and the swagger on the, on the field. So. Oh, absolutely. He's, he's absolutely that guy. Um, God, I'm trying to see Tim Anderson is going to be back tomorrow. There you go. Versus the angels. And, uh, so you get to see Joe Madden, um, coaching, but and Shoyo time. will be in town. That's that'll be fun. That'll be, that'll actually be fun. Cause that guy can rake. He can hit him a long way. A very long way. It's it's unreal how how that guy hits and pitches. I mean, you know, you're not going to knock his pitching, but but, geez, you know, watching watching him hit, like you're like, how, how's a guy with it's that big, you know, with that long of a swing, just crushing the ball like that? But he's just so strong. So currently, Shohei Otani's got 44 home runs. That leads all of baseball. And on top of that, he's got a 972 OPS. So it's not like he's just hitting home runs. He's getting on base too, 361 clip, and he's slugging an American League leading 611. Oh, and on top of that, let's not forget this. He's got a 336 ERA in 21 starts. And his strikeouts per nine is 10.6 on the year. He's got 136 strikeouts in 115 and a third innings. Yeah. It'd be nice for that guy to be on our team. It would, wouldn't it? I mean, this guy's just awesome. Yeah. He he's, he's no joke. Um, is he going to, is he going to pitch? I don't think he's going to pitch against the White Sox. Let me see the. Um, I'm looking at his uh, pitching. He's. Uh, I think he's ten and two, with a three three six ERA. That's pretty good. Let's see probables. White Sox probables. Come on, I'm gonna be load. Um, we've got according to MLB.com, TBD is gonna be pitching like crazy this against the series. Ah, uh, my favorite TBD. So TBD pitching tomorrow for the White Sox. TBD pitching Wednesday for the White Sox. TBD pitching Thursday for the White Sox. TBD pitching Wednesday and Thursday for the angels and then Packy Naughton pitching for the angels tomorrow. So I don't know if we'll see uh Shohei Otani pitching. Um, well, we'll see him hit at least. 
Yeah. So it looks like he pitched on Friday. So Saturday, Sunday, Monday. We might, yeah, we might see him. We might see him either Wednesday or Thursday. I bet you if he does start, there's going to be a lot of extra tickets. So, I mean, the White Sox are drawing well regardless because of how they're doing. But I think the day of Shea Otani, if he does pitch, I think even more people are going to want to come out to see that. I, oh, I think so. I mean, I, I might go down and see just, you know, see what the giveaway is and get a free giveaway and get to go see arguably the best player in baseball. Yeah, there you go. Um. See. Uh, um, I'm just looking at the uh, the most recent MLB uh, probabilities for the postseason, and the the way it stands right now, the White Sox. Have a ninety-nine percent, or greater than ninety-nine percent, um, chance of uh, winning their division. I mean, yeah, they pretty much have it won already. It's just a matter yeah. of what day. And they've got an eight percent chance of winning the World Series, and a twenty percent chance of going to the World Series. Um, and let's see, Cardinals. Cardinals still have a 15% chance of the playoffs. They're not dead yet. They're a little high for my, my tastes. They're not dead yet. And I think they were winning the last time I looked. They, they were, I hate the Cardinals. Just put a dagger in them already. Um, no, but like, you're looking at the national league standings and Atlanta still raking. Philly's starting to slip there. Uh, Milwaukee's not slowing down. God, they just threw a combined no hitter. I know. And uh, wasn't wasn't the uh, who was it against? Because I think the same pitcher had three no hitters against him this year. Wait, what? That he was the uh, the opposing pitcher in three three no hitters this season. oh yeah because it was against cleveland yeah. yeah whoever the starting pitcher was he was the he was on the wrong end of three no hitters this season which what is, are the odds I, of that? i know that's insane like you can't even like there's nothing you can do about that you're you know you, you're an american league pitcher you're it, it sucks it sucks for him yeah that's nuts yeah but um wild card here so right now, Toronto is Toronto has overtaken the Yankees, and they are the top wild card. They just beat the Orioles like twenty-two to seven. The Toronto has is on a uh, they're nine and one in their last ten, and they are on fire. And the Yankees are just struggling. I would love to see the Blue Jays make it and not the Yankees. Um, yeah, pretty much Angels are out. Seattle and, and Oakland are starting to fizzle. And I I I think I think both wild cards are gonna come from 
the AL East. Yeah, I think so too. And then the uh, the Dodgers are are going to be the runaway winners of the one wild card game. And St. Louis is only one game back from the wild card spot. Yeah, I know. And they're going to win again tonight. And it's not like they're playing that great. It's just Cincinnati and San Diego are, are playing a little worse and a little worse and a little worse. Yeah. San Diego really fell apart. And, and St. Louis is just slowly catching up. Yep, that's what they do. It's never over for them. Never. Damn team, man. Why can't we be like that? I know. Even when you're bad, just being at least pretty good. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Was there anything else you wanted to talk about? No, I think I've said my piece. Um, Well, one last thing I wanted to say is uh, we saw Jason Peters and Larry Borum go out of the game at left tackle for the bears. I was watching the injury report today. Matt Nagy did not mention anything about their injuries. So the rumors are that Larry Borum's got a high ankle sprain, which is not good. So we might not see him for a while. Great. And I don't know about Jason Peters and Tevin Jenkins is, is probably like week eight. So, or in week nine. So we are running dangerously thin on, on tackles. Hopefully, hopefully Jason Peters is fine enough to play next week because otherwise, otherwise we are in deep doo-doo. Yeah. You could say that again. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Bill Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. I want to thank everybody so much for listening. Please hit subscribe however you listen to podcasts, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, Spotify, etc. Follow us on social media uh, at Swirsky Sports, Facebook.com slash Swirsky Sports, Swirsky Sports.com, Alex Pat Sports Chat, uh, blogspot.com or Facebook, Alex Pat Sports Chat. Uh, Please share this podcast with your friends. It's how we grow the show. And again, thank you guys so much for listening. And until next time, bear down. Cubs win! What a lucky break! The good Lord wants the Cubs to win! We thank Dick and God for all they have provided. Uh, 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 Cubs win! Cubs win! Cubs win! You can have her, she's a Packer fan She can't fit in my van And she looks like Remember New Yorkers, smoking crack is not legal on the plains Bears, 31 to negative 7 The Bears Oh, when the Bears go bearing down